Welcome to Data-Driven Magic. We are a podcast about magic the gathering and deriving value from data. I'm your host, Rusty Sosha, and with me this week again is Matt Wickisberg. I think I did better with your name this time, right, Matt? You nailed it, Rusty. Sweet. Thanks for the intro. Absolutely. Uh, excited to do this again. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so I think at a high level, we should probably review what we're going to talk about. And then, I mean, last time we chatted about day one, day two metagame and, and how to maybe do a better job of assessing what your sideboard looks like and how to, how to figure that out based on historic data. And at this time, we're going to talk about tools that you can use for Magic Arena and Magic the Gathering online. And man, there are a lot of tools out there, Rusty. I mean, I feel like every single day there's a new one that pops up or a new half dozen that pop up. Well, I'm excited to talk about all the tools that are out there, all the new ones. But first, I think you've done pretty well on Magic Arena recently, right? Yeah, just a little personal aside. Um, you know, I've been using tools and, and in analytics. I've been tuning some pretty sweet lists. My latest list is Simic Flash. Okay. Uh, I call it Chunky Tuna Fish because it has this card called Voracious Great Shark, big old tuna. Uh-huh. And uh, I hit Mythic 139 the other day and been pretty wow. consistent in the top couple hundred of Mythic. Dude, congratulations. Uh, the last couple months. That's incredible. Is that is that yeah. the, the best that you've done on Arena? It's the best I've done on Arena. Honestly, I was an MTGO player for most of the, most of the last half a year. Mm-hmm. So just started picking Arena back up and playing it competitively. So, so what made you switch over from MTGO to Arena? The death of Pioneer. Pioneer, you know, I used to do all these super qualifiers, and then they stopped firing. Mm-hmm. Um, like, all these big events that I'd wake up at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. for just wouldn't happen. It was disheartening. I, I think the community in general stagnated on their deck choices, and uh, the format got boring. But it's all been it's all been switched around now with the latest ban. I, I, I saw that. I have not played a single game of Pioneer, I don't think. I have categorically just kind of said I'm not going to play this because I don't want to buy paper cards but now it's kind of weird because that's not an excuse anymore. <laughs> exactly, uh, exactly. I've actually, you know, on MTGO I I purchased all the cards that I actually need to use and I so I had, you know, a rental service, Mana Traders. I I'm sure you use similar. Yeah, you Mana Traders guy. Mana Traders all the way. But yeah. similarly, I have a, a bunch of my go-to decks that are just purchased straight out. Yeah. And so I, I, I was like, I don't want to get another Mana Traders you know, subscription because I kind of put that on pause. And I've gone on long vacation mode where I pay like $2 a month to maintain my level of loyalty or whatever. But uh, Makes yeah. sense. Anyway. Oh, wait, um, wait. Even with Dredge. I know you're a Dredge aficionado, which MTGO is the only way to go right now. Yeah. Um, you, just, you have that deck straight up? Oh, yeah, I've got a couple different versions of that. I got the Crabvine version. I have Hogak, not that that's legal, but um, I've got, uh, yeah, I've got, you know, the, the couple of different varieties that I've been testing and that we're going to talk about next week, or not next week, at next podcast. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I have all, all of Dredge outright, a couple of different variations of Burn, but if there's ever a deck that, like, I need to test where I'm feeling, like, based on, you know, chats with, with you or with other players that I'm, I'm going to go to a tournament with that, that there's a better deck to play. I'll, I'll rent that and I'll, I'll get the cards for it and play it. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rental anyway. services have really changed the game. Uh, yeah, aside <laughs> over, but rental services have changed the game. Maybe at some point we can talk through some of the financial statistics on that. That'd oh, be, yeah. That'd that, be interesting. That would be super cool. A lot to talk about in the future, which is all, it's exciting. We've got lots of, of content to be able to create, but I want to know more about 
the decks you were playing in um, standard and how you managed to hit 139 just at a high level was there did you use any tools was there any data was it data driven oh i absolutely (laughs) data driven is in our podcast name so um Uh my tool choice was untap.gg and a little bit of uh um what was the other tool that i use locally oh yes mtg arena tool but untap gg is now my favorite tool for trying to figure out what's a good deck and then also trying to do version progression of your deck Mm the decks that I played, so I started a couple months ago just doing Bant Ramp and Control. Um, got really good at that, but then I said, you know, if everyone's playing these decks, what beats these Haymaker decks? Because that's the the style of magic that we were in two months ago. And we're still kind of in. I call it Haymaker magic. I mm-hmm. think uh, Sam Black coined that term. And Mono Green. Mono Green just, you know, go as fast as you can, smack them dead mm-hmm. was the way to go. Mono Green, Mono Black... I was able to post 80% win rates with those two decks. And what you ha- all you had to do was get a really aggressive clock and then some form of a rebuild strategy after they inevitably sweep your board. Mm-hmm. And if you could do that, you could almost beat every Haymaker deck in the field. So that was how I hit Mythic, I think, top 500 to start Okay. Um, in July. And then from there, everyone started hating on Mono Green. Team Erec just started exploding and they figured out really good strategies to to get one over on the aggressive decks so then simic flash became my go-to choice it was a way that you could compete with the aggressive decks but also have a ton of permission for any team or reclamation deck or haymaker magic the only thing it lost to was things that had crazy card advantage engines if if there was if every single spell was a two for one Mm. Uh, or could generate lots and lots of cards, Simic Flash couldn't keep up on the cardboard count, and you just fell behind and eventually lost. So did you just start off with a a stock list and then kind of tweak it, or I guess how did you kind of approach that? Uh, Let's talk about Simic Flash, because that's why I've gotten really deep into the last 45 days. Mm -hmm. Um, Shout out to the Real Killer Dub on Twitter. So he's been, he runs a teaching stream that I watched for a little bit, and he had this build that was a bigger Simic Flash build um, it had growth spiral in it, and I thought it was really, really interesting. I said, why would a flash deck have mana ramp? Mm-hmm. didn't make sense, mm-hmm. but he was able to skew to these higher, bigger, more powerful cards mm-hmm. um, in the same type of shell, and it turned out to be a very winning combination. So that, his was the stock list I started with, and then I started tuning. And the nice thing about untapped GG is as you are just naturally doing your progression in arena and you're playing with cards and taking cards in, taking cards out, untapped.gg naturally versions your deck for you. So you can go to their website and you can see all the card changes that you've done, get some really quick statistics on win rates versus what types of decks, and you can start pinpointing what version changes you did that were successful and what version changes that you did that weren't successful. So I really like that data-driven approach, and it was just so easy because Untapped.gg recorded everything. And and Untapped.gg is a uh, a website that you have to go to, right? You have to install something, and then it pulls data from your your play, and then it, it uploads it to the website. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So you install it on your computer, and then it's mm-hmm. just a little client-side like background service that runs. Mm-hmm. It will give you an overlay in MTG Arena, mm-hmm. and then when you click on a button in your overlay, it brings you to its website, which has your profile where all your data is recorded. Got it. So, so deck version tracking is one of the uh, features, and you've got a couple other here. It says velocity indicator to help you understand your ladder climb. Have you? Did you actually use that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about just 
in general, what are the pros and cons with MTAP2G? I think that's a nice segue. Sure. So the other pros that I really like with MTAP.GG is um, that it gives you a like nice little visual curve of how quickly you're progressing up the ranked ladder. It's just a, a graph. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it shows you when you hit um, bronze, or when you hit um, platinum, when you hit diamond, when you hit mythic, etc. And then when you hover over the icon, it'll tell you how quickly you're going mm. toward that goal. Okay. So it just lets you know at a gut feel level, am I 50 games out? Am I 20 games out? Am I 30 games out from hitting Mythic? And that will tell you, should I even try to go for Mythic? Um, sometimes if you have, say, five days left in a month and you're so far off and your gut's telling you you're 50 matches out, that's not realistic to play mm-hmm. 50 matches in five days typically. Yeah. yeah. So um, you probably shouldn't even try. You should just you know, have some fun, maybe play some different games. Yeah. No, that is actually pretty helpful. Yeah, for sure. The other thing that I really liked about Untapped GG was uh, their overlays. Mm-hmm. But their overlays are like little cheat sheets. So when you play a game and you have Untapped.gg going in the background, you're going to get some icons and some information that appears inside your game. It will tell you statistics. Mm-hmm. The biggest statistic is how likely you are to draw a land, but you can also see statistics of how likely you are to draw any single card in your deck. Mm-hmm. Now, these are okay, but it's kind of like fast food. It's something that you should partake in once in a while, but you shouldn't do all the time. If you mm-hmm. truly want to be a great competitive Magic player, what I like to do is toggle those statistics on and off mm-hmm. once in a while, and I use it to train my intuition. So I'll have a game where I'll use those statistics in the middle of the game just to give me quick information, and then I'll have maybe five games where I turn those statistics off, and I use just my intuition to try to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And eventually, your intuition catches up with where the actual statistics are. Yeah, you're training your brain to have heuristics. Mm-hmm. A- anything else that you like about this? I saw on their website that they have a global stat tracking feature coming soon. And I've okay. seen some other tools that are like oriented toward crowdsourcing of data, which mm-hmm. will be super powerful. They don't have it yet, but when those types of features take hold and crowdsourcing in general is better integrated with these types of tools, that's going to be something to, to watch out for. Okay. So let me talk through at a high level why I don't necessarily love these tools. And, and I'm, I'm open to debate here because I think that there's a lot of tools out there that you can use for, for limited. So I'm, I'm looking at this purely from a limited perspective. You know, I, I like playing limited and I do like, you know, whenever a, a season starts or a new set's released to see just how cards are ranked. I use DraftSim. DraftSim's got a, a nice little kind of ranking tool. I'll read, you know, Channel Fireball's ranking setup and I'll... Um... Does that just take the the limited resource overview, basically what LSV and... LSV Marshall actually does his does? own. He does his own separate from what they do on limited resources. But I, I will, of course, listen to limited resources as well to try to get a feel for the set. But I honestly don't like the, the ratings that pop up. And I can't remember if it's untapped.gg or if it's the MTG Arena tool that does it i think it's on top of gg but they both do i think so they they both probably have their different variant yeah i I don't really appreciate having those like values pop up because it really i I mean there's so much more to draft than than just looking at a number let me pause you just for a little bit there sure so for the listeners if they haven't seen this tool what are these pop-ups that you're talking about? Yeah, so so whenever you go into a draft, there's a little number that will come up. I think it's at the top right or top left of a card, and it's just you know the the power level, right? It's it's how good a card is at, at its face value, not looked at within the context of you know a deck that you might be drafting. And I think that 
as you add more and more on the screen, it gets more and more distracting. And I prefer to just focus on the cards that are coming up in the draft, I'm trying to understand what the people around me are doing so that I can get into the right colors. And, and over time, using other tools that I'll talk about, I teach myself how to draft well, you know, and what to look for. So maybe at the beginning it's okay, you know, just to, to get a, a baseline for what other people think the power level of a particular card is. But I think that honestly, all those numbers around the cards are distracting. Do you think it's a trap? For, for new players. So you're a new player, you just install and tap GG and you're like, hey, I have this powerful tool yeah. that's going to give me an edge over all my buddies. Yeah, I, try this. yeah, I think that it is a bit of a trap. I mean, it's fine to use it once or twice to just kind of get an idea of what people think are powerful cards. But I mean, honestly, you, you can look at stuff if it isn't just a vanilla like one three flyer or, you know, whatever, like a two two and you start seeing some text around it and then you you kind of say, okay, does this work with the the thing that I'm doing or kind of building around? Like that's what makes draft interesting, right? Not just like picking the best card or like knowing what the best card is with just a baseline number, right? It's the interesting piece is actually building a synergistic deck. They've Do been you doing... think this is a start? So I see I see these scoring and ranking systems, and obviously, you know, one score doesn't rule them all. It's impossible to have a score that that is deterministically deterministically works for every single synergy every mm -hmm. single stage where you are in a draft mm -hmm. just impossible but what if these scores could augment over time learn your synergies that you're building toward and somehow guide those decisions yeah. maybe this is the start for that type of technology that would be very interesting if yeah if the 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 program could dynamically watch what you're drafting and, and help to recommend things and you know draft sim actually has you know, in their draft simulator, um, that built in a little bit where it will, it, really? if, you're, if you're practicing on there, yeah, I've, I've actually done, I don't know, maybe a hundred or 200 hours worth of practice drafts on draft sim wow. over the years. But basically what it, what'll happen is you can select a, a feature or an option on there to show their recommendation and they'll, they'll start to, or they'll, they'll, they'll have the baseline number and then plus or minus a certain amount to that you know, overall number based on what you've already drafted. So it's pretty much just based on color combinations. That's, that's so cool. It is, yeah. You know, it's a cool tool. And I think that, that overall that, that's a, a little bit better. And it's a great practice goal. I, I definitely recommend using DraftSim to, to, to practice, you know, before you go out and do your first pre-release event just because it, it really helps you to learn the cards and kind of, um, you know, just build an understanding of what you're doing. And You yeah, know, but, I'm a... I'm a constructed aficionado. Mm -hmm. I played constructed magic for many years competitively. Drafting and limited, still, in my opinion, the most cerebral and the most difficult flavor of magic you could you could ever master. Yeah, it, it, it's fun. beyond me. It's no, you can do it for sure. It's 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 wonderful. It's um, it's always fluid. I think that it's a it's a really interesting way to play magic because you know each set is designed to be contained within itself and playable within itself and they're getting better i honestly think they're getting better over time with creating opportunities for players to feel clever you know the 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 two card combos and at most three card combos are, are delightful like whenever you've got like a veto thorn of the dusk rose and you give your other creature lifelink or you've got you know a, a chorister or whatever the, the hell that that you know one mana one one is with plus you know, three for five, and you just you get to feel smart whenever you swing in. You know, turn six with 
that out and you, you, you pump it and all of a sudden yeah it's 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 great and they're, they're doing a good job of of making players feel clever and having a fun experience and i i don't know i think the numbers it's a crutch right that's that's ultimately what it is it's it's a crutch and, and it's also distracting that's that's what i will say about the numbers did you do you find some pros with uh with let's say un- untapped gg for limited no I'm, I'm sorry i i and i think that that maybe i'm a little just being a little too harsh on it but the thing is that for me i mean what's the value of a tool this is kind of getting a little bit existential but but the value of a tool is if it does a job well and efficiently and helps you to get to, to do something faster and better right that's the definition of a good tool mm-hmm. and the thing is that whenever i'm trying to use these tools for limited with with all the numbers that pop up and mtg the the arena tool shows like a damage over time and like something it, it gives you a little indication of what what creature you or what card you cast the most and what creature did the most damage the thing is that that's fine like that's information but if it isn't contextualized and and given to you in um in a way to help you you know understand themes or commonalities between your gameplay and and ways to improve it's just data right and like humans are not good at recognizing patterns it's just it's it's proven we're just shit at it and and statistics like we're we're just garbage at it and and this tool isn't necessarily like the, the win percentage over time is one thing right like if i wanted to be like oh how how am i doing unlimited you know like and it's just showing me that I suck, you know, and that my I'm not climbing. Then that that's that's one thing, right? And like maybe say, okay, I'm gonna try to implement this change, and we'll see how it affects my win rate. And you go back and check, oh, it went up. Great, that's fine. But ask you a question, Rusty. So I definitely get where you're coming from. For hey, it's a crutch. Hey, people aren't learning context. People aren't learning the fundamentals of limited. Yeah. And just blindly following a number is actually counterproductive to your strategy. Yes, um, and it's hard to do because humans aren't good at it. So I get that. Um, let's say some of the listeners are new to limited or mm-hmm. intermediate. Mm-hmm. Where where would they go to start? What what are some of your recommendations? Yeah, you know, limited resources is just fantastic. Marshall and Luis do a, a really great job of talking about the same things. Like I honestly, I've stopped listening to them week to week because it does become repetitive with the the techniques it's the same techniques applied to a new set so whenever you get it you get it and i'll listen for their review about the the set release and and talking about the cards they see and some synergies and things like that because i I think that they're pretty astute and they they're they're good players and they they do a good job with that and i'm speaking about this like i know what the hell i'm doing i don't know what the hell i'm doing right like i'm 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 consistently platinum you know in that 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 ranking for limited and i i don't put in enough time to you know get up to mythic um you know, so I'm, you know, I'm a pretty average player, but I mean, you have to do something. You have to know what you're doing to get to platinum. Otherwise you're just throwing money away. And, and I, Absolutely. it's relatively self-sustaining. Like I, I, I rarely have to throw in money to, um, you know, MTG arena to you're living the dream rusty. Yeah. That I'm just, is the dream right yeah, I'm there. Just having fun. But, but I would say that if you want to start somewhere, you go to limited resources, you listen to that, you just read a lot. And then you look at the cards and, and you know, you look at the signpost, uh, uh, gold cards to kind of understand what the synergies are for the set and then and then you kind of go from there and you do some drafts and you're only going to get better by playing and losing because that's <laughs> that's that's what it is but 
I do have a tool, and I I, I can talk about it now. Um, let's uh, okay, let's close Untapped GG, okay. and then we'll move on to the next tool. We can go okay. to your tool. Sounds good. So uh, I want to hear. Let's do our final takeaway for Untapped.gg. Mm -hmm. Who should use it? Should people use it? So why don't why don't you go first? I think that if that, that if you're doing uh, limited, check it out. Maybe you're you find something of value there. For me, I I don't think that it's adding a lot and it's it's distracting for me so I, I, I turn it off um, unless maybe I want to go and see my um, you know rate of climb on the ladder makes sense yeah for me my takeaway is untapped.gg is your best for competitive constructed ranked mm -hmm. so if you're a competitive grinder that likes standard a lot uh, or historic and you want to hit mythic consistently I think untapped.gg is the way to do it in constructed awesome so I, I'll cover very briefly the tool that I have created for myself. And it's, tool is a strong word. It's more of a diary than anything else. This is all in Excel. What it is, is every time I draft, I take a screenshot of my draft. Um, I, I put a date down, the, the number of drafts that I've done. So like this is draft number, you know, 34. And, and then I put, you know, an archetype in there and I will start to take notes. And so I, I first take a note on how I think the draft went. You know, if I saw things that were open or not open, I, I write that down. Mm -hmm. I write that down, and then each game, I say, you know, game one, and then I, I put a space for whether or not that was a win or loss, and then what I'm playing against. And then I just take notes as it's happening, like, oh, they played this and this, and it works really well together, right? Or I played this into this, and this worked well together. And so as I'm playing through a draft, I'm thinking very critically about what I'm playing against, and, and also at any given point, whether I'm the attacker or the defender right the aggressor or the defender and so that that helps me to kind of start to build a framework for okay each draft archetype that i might be in is this you know kind of characteristically the aggressor in general or is it just the aggressor against this kind of deck and what are the things that went well so that in future drafts if, if i ever find myself in, in some open colors that i've drafted before or that i might have played against i can look back quickly at that you know that that particular entry and do a quick refresher and the other thing this is one other random rule it, it's not a tool it's just a rule that i follow i never select my card in the draft until i have at least one other pack waiting for me and i try to always use my full time and that might be obnoxious for other players the thing is it forces you to look at all the cards to try to memorize what's what's going around and um you know it just it forces you to be really intentional i, I think that's that's the biggest I thing i think with, that's with really smart tools. yeah I, i've used uh, you, you know what when you're talking about this obviously i don't play a ton of limited though i do like it mm -hmm. but in the constructed world i've used similar techniques i almost call them study techniques yeah where it's not so much a tool but it's really just the the thought process of being intentional mm -hmm. about your games it helps you learn those fundamentals. It helps you learn really how the game works versus just using a tool and going through the motions and, and using a heuristic that someone else designed mm -hmm. um, that maybe you don't understand. And if you read a lot of like high-level uh, constructed magic um, strategy articles, that's actually what they try to drill in your brain. Say, hey, we could give you a deck guide. We could tell you, like, here's what we do in every single game. But... You don't know all the nuances. You don't know um, your opponent's deck guide 100%. Also, one week from now, this deck guide is going to be completely out of date. So you're not going to be playing optimally anymore. But if you're intentional, and at the end of every game, you think through what you did well, what you didn't do well, and just, hey, even use a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Write it down. Mm -hmm. You're going to be getting better and better at magic over time. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a study tool more than anything else, or it's a study a study tool. All right, so yeah, MTG I'm curious Arena. how many other people do that. You know, I, I know a lot of Magic players. I know the majority of Magic players I know don't get that intentional. Hmm. I'm wondering if it's something that's more common at the pro level, or it's just because you and I were, were data junkies. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't know that it's necessarily that we're data junkies. It's just that I think you and I, we work full-time and we're both married and, and our time's super valuable, so we're always trying to eke the most value out of our time. I think that's where it's you know coming from. I think it's a little personality traits as well. Maybe. I mean, my personality just kind of lends to lends myself to this style uh i think yours does too mm -hmm. so so matt tell me about the mtg arena tool what do you like about that sure so on to the next tool in our list um mtg arena tool it's very similar to untapped.gg but it has a couple noticeable differences so first and foremost it's a local tool so it doesn't go to a cloud website mm -hmm. you don't share your data by your data is not public by default which actually i really like that on untapped.gg i always had to go and mark my data as private. So I like that as a pro is keeping your data just to yourself. Mm -hmm. But the other big pro is I think it's more for the casual gamer. So it has really good economy tracking tools, it has collection statistics. So all the other things that are really cool about Magic, um, such as, you know, can you get every single card? Do you have every, every single art? You can do that with the MTG Arena tool, which I really liked. And then that that ladder climb statistic, untapped.gg has a graph that shows your ladder climb. Well, on MTG Arena, it's a little finicky to get to work right, but it'll actually tell you based upon your your exist your your play in that in that constructed season how many games until you hit your next level. So I like that they actually called out a number uh, okay. for you when you're when you're grinding and trying to hit the next level. Yeah, that sounds ladder. pretty helpful. Okay, so economy tracking, private data, deck deck search and exploration. I guess it also has that that draft card ranking that we were talking about before, which I'm not necessarily a fan of. But what are some of the cons that you might see with this? So um, it was finicky. Mm -hmm. So when I when I started using MTG Arena Tool, uh, sometimes you want to select like a certain time frame and see all your your games over that time frame. Maybe you just want it this current constructed season, this ranked season. And there's times where the logs just don't load right. So you'll just have a completely empty season. You won't see data. Mm. You won't know why. And then there's times where just all your data goes away. You know, that's interesting. Uh, I've had a similar thing where it's not tracking my decks well or getting the percentages right for my draft deck where I'll, I'll know that I'll have played a card and it'll still show up as being in, you know, as registered in my deck still and get, still give me percentage around that. So I yeah, I've, I have had similar issues with untapped.gg. My fix there was um, just rather, so when your computer starts up, it auto, auto starts up the untapped.gg service. Mm -hmm. Restart that manually before you ever play any arena, Got and it. it'll, it'll save everything. Okay. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of my takeaway. But again, for the casual side of you, if you really care about economy and getting the most gold or gems for your buck, or if you care about collections, MTG Arena is pretty cool, even with some of the bugs and some of the, the cons. How about you? Have you have you given that a spin, Rusty? I, I have. It's similar. I, I I haven't seen anything out there for MTG Arena, any tools that I, I really love for draft. They're kind of all offering the same thing, and I could be wrong. And you know, reach out and tell me that I'm wrong if I if you think that I'm no, I think I'm, you're off, right. I'm off base here. But you, you know, I I think that. What I'd like is having a way to see what 
archetypes are maybe doing better than others, um, you know, in terms of win percentage. And I've, I've seen that for Constructed. I've seen that in Hearthstone. I've played some Hearthstone. I, you know, they do a good job of, of, of tracking things there. And I think that some of the people, I can't remember which tools, the creators of which tools also made tools for Hearthstone, but I know that there are people out there that can do this. I'm not one of them, but this this can exist. So seeing that would be helpful. Yeah, and, and draft is such a dynamic thing that, you know, from the point of pre-release onwards, the decks that get drafted change over time and kind of having a picture of that, you know, the, the popularity of a particular and success of a particular draft archetype would be very interesting as well, both for an individual and as a whole. So don't want these all these additions rusty maybe that's what makes limited magical and the mystery is just what you want it could be yeah that's fine and i'm fine with the way that limited is right now i don't i don't need more more here this is it's it's just a fun fun thing to do for sure so what's our takeaway on mtg arena tool uh again i think it's probably good for constructed i i don't love it for draft but i think people can derive value from from looking at those numbers and, and maybe kind of training themselves a little bit um and then turning them off because i think they're distracting but uh yeah how about you uh, my takeaway for mtg arena is it's the one of the go-to tools for your freemium user so if you're free to play you really want to get the most out of your gold or your gems that mm-hmm. you acquire and you just like seeing how fast you can accrue your gold the economy features of mtg arena are pretty unique mm-hmm. um and i think That'd be a great tool for you to use. Okay, cool. So moving on, so so we only did two tools here for MTG Arena, but uh, and we know that there's there's other ones out there, but the, I think these are the two most prolific and popular, right? Yeah, they're up there. I've seen um, MTGA Assistant is starting to pop up too. Okay. Um, but again, it's a lot of the same types of features. So as we went through the features in MTG Arena and untap.gg, you can draw a lot of corollaries to MTGA Assistant. So, but I did want to talk about one thing before sure. we move yeah, on yeah, yeah. to um, MTGO. Please. That's cool. So it it's a pain point I see in general with the technology that we have for MTGA. Um, so Magic Arena, I believe when we're logging games, it doesn't tell you in-game decisions. This is unlike mm-hmm. MTGO. Mm-hmm. So Magic Online will actually record and save a log of how you played a game and you can replay your entire game which is super useful if oh, you're yeah. trying to find um, you know how your game decisions play out also just watching an old recording and seeing what you what you screwed up on mm-hmm. but MTGA doesn't have that technology so you just have this black box where all you can analyze from a data perspective is on the outskirts of a game so mm-hmm. you can analyze sideboard decisions and you can analyze deck versions mm-hmm. that's it I really hope Magic Arena changes that in the future and has some form of a replay tool that comes out because then the amounts of, of data and analytics that you can do just skyrocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we're about to review that with MTG or Mort, uh, M-O-R-T. It's the Magic Online replay tool because you, like you said, you get a very uh, rich data log from MTGO and Mort does a fantastic job of pulling that down, synthesizing it, and, and helping you to actually derive, uh, you know, an understanding of, of what's going on, uh, not only with your, your your deck, but but how you're doing against other people. So I'm I'm so excited. More more to such a cool thing. Thank you so much for introducing me to Mort. Let's let's talk about it. What Matt describe for the audience what Mort is. Sure. So Mort is a client side tool. So you download it from the internet. Um, it is also legacy. So it's not actively developed right now, but um, you download it and then it's a Java, like a, 
a program that runs on your computer. And the program is very tabular in nature. So you see lots of tables, lots of statistics, almost think of looking at an Excel chart, but it's all geared toward slicing and dicing your magic games in certain ways. And every tab on the tool is a different sort of analysis that you can do. So some of the analysis that you can do gets super intricate because it gets into in-game decision-making. So there's tabs for how quickly, how many turns it takes to win a game. Uh, there's tabs that get into your mulligan decisions and will let you know if you're a, a deck that can mulligan well or a deck that shouldn't mulligan. And then the most powerful in-game decision tracking that it can do is cards to cast to win correlations. So mm -hmm. it will monitor everything that you play in a game and it'll tell you how does casting that card correlate to a win. And all these tools put together just give you a really comprehensive suite of ways to use data to really tune how you play the game and also what goes into your starting 75. I think that that is a fantastic overview and there's so much depth and complexity to each of those tabs that, that you kind of highlighted there. And I don't know if it makes sense to dive into each tab right now or if we just kind of talk about it at a high level or maybe we talk I about the cost. High level, yeah, high level is good. Um, maybe we could just talk about our favorite tab, because I know you're a Mort user too, my friend. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could give an example of a really cool thing that Mort can do that you like, and I can give an example. Sure. Well, you you have way more experience with Mort. I'm a, I'm a baby when it comes to Mort. But um, yeah, I'm using Mort to assess dredge. What I've been doing is looking at win percentages versus other decks, and also the correlation between when I cast something and how often I win. Right, And I'll also preface this whole discussion with the statement that I am a patron of Sodek, who is a fantastic dredge player. He's always playing in the, the challenges on the weekends and doing very well. And he has a monthly Patreon feed um, where he posts his uh, deck list and then a, a, a sideboard guide and talks about you know win percentages and matchups and things like that and sideboard decisions. But one of the things that he points out is how impactful Ox of Agonis is in Dredge whenever you cast it. And he has kind of landed on um, having three in the deck. And I've been playing around with that and looking at how those numbers have changed over time, as well as looking at the new package. Does, of... uh, does your Mort data confirm Sodex? Uh, oh, 100%. Ox? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ox, Ox is just fantastic. It's the nuts. You typically will win if you're able to actually cast it, especially like around turn three turn two is, is very possible and if you're casting ox on turn two you're, the game's kind of tied up but anyway i think the other really more interesting piece is assessing win percentage for the new silver smote ghoul packages that are that are out there right it's you know looking at at ghoul with smiting helix as the mid-game strategy versus bloodgast and life from the loam and forgotten cave and so i'm i'm playing more matches with that and i'm uh, i've actually reached out to sodek to, to see if i can't get some of his data and have him on the show maybe so we'll we'll see about that but if not we'll at least have another dredge player on um to chat but yeah no very very excited about about looking at the correlation between win and casting certain cards because if you have enough gameplay data you can really kind of zero in on particular percentages and if you have friends that play the same deck as you you can crowdsource data which is what we're talking about here there with you me. go getting yeah, that was the thing i was going to talk about rusty yeah crowdsourcing so, so go for it talk about crowdsourcing okay so more is very very friendly for crowdsourcing data like all the data that you generate with the more tool it pulls up into one folder you can zip up that folder 
have all your buddies share the same artifacts, put it into one master folder, rerun well, more. Wait a second, wait a second, wait, 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 wait. You said artifacts, and in the context of magic, that is not <laughs> what most people are thinking of it. What is it? Software engineering. There we go, yeah. yeah. So, so what is an artifact in software okay, engineering terms? Um, Files is there what we I meant go. to say. There yeah. we go. Not okay. magic artifacts. <laughs> sure, sure, Thank sure. you, Rusty. No problem. All right, yeah, so you're so, able to get files from other people. Yeah, when Mort processes your data, it makes a folder of files. Well, you can get all your buddies to share that same folder of files, put it into one big folder of files, mm -hmm. and boom, you have crowdsourced data, which is very unique to Mort. And one of the number, it's actually the number one thing I like about Mort. And to your point, you were just saying with Sodek and, and Dredge, the more data that you have, the more confident you can be about your data-driven decisions. If you just play five matches a week, at the end of five weeks, having 25 matches of data probably still isn't enough to do a great data-driven decision. As a, as yeah. a quick sidebar, um, as somebody who's taken a bunch of statistics over the years, they talk about you know n as being a number of samples, and whenever n equals 30 or 60, that's essentially infinity. You've heard that before? That... Yeah, that feels right to me. I haven't heard the specific number, but that feels right. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to unpack there, and we can get into it in another episode that maybe is a little bit more mathy, but essentially that number is whenever you have so much going on you know, and so many different variables, that number gets bigger. So like to your point, if you just have 25 matches, that's not enough within the context of magic. Your sample size needs to be much larger in order to, to really have takeaways where you, your standard deviation is smaller to a point where you're you're comfortable with the number that's that's there. Your your uncertainty. These are all yeah. statistic words that I'm throwing out there, and and I realize we need to maybe spend an episode on math. And we definitely could. We definitely could in the future. Yeah. So more and technology that lets you crowdsource data is the way to go if you really want to you know take your level to the next game. Um, how I do it, how Rusty and I do it, is we, we crowdsource with different people. So I try to crowdsource with my, my Magic the Gathering team, the Fanny Pack. Um, but yeah, just getting a group of buddies, even just two, three buddies that work together is better than you. Mm -hmm. Four people is better than, than just doing it yourself. And it's fun. It's fun to see what kind of things you can learn about with your friends. Totally. And and you had talked about um, the, the benefits of finding... Uh a group on like MTG Salvation or there's Facebook groups that are, you know, dedicated to a particular deck type um, or Reddit group. And you can ask other people in that group to share data. And, and that's another great way to pool data for, you know, your own use on Mort. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's, that's one thing I like about Mort. The, the other thing I really like about Mort, which is very unique to Mort, um, is its strong deck classification. Mm. Uh, so what I mean by that this is, is cool. uh, so if you're familiar with MTGA, uh, MTG arena tools, whenever you look at win correlation or like win percentages of your deck versus the meta, they never give you deck names. They always give you color pairs. Mm. They say maybe against Gruul decks, you're 75% win rate, but against Azorius decks, you're 30% win rate. Um, the reason why they don't get into naming the deck is there's a lot of different nuances between those color pairs and what types of decks can show up. So Mort handles that by having literally machine learning under the hood that does an automatic cla deck classification. Hey, you called it fuzzy logic match, is that right? It does a fuzzy mo logic match, yeah. It will take a look at every single card your opponent played in the game, come up with a big old list of those cards, and then try to do a match based upon the cards that it played with deck definitions it has. And it will uh, also factor in the date. So 
if it's February 13th, you know, 2020, it's going to look at deck definitions that are close to February 13th, 2020. And it mixes a lot of that up, does a little machine learning under the hood, and its deck classification is right uh, vast majority of the time. Mm -hmm. It's very impressive uh, how it works out. That's so cool. That is that is super cool. What do you mean when you say that it, it looks at the date and the deck classifications around that date? What does that mean? Yeah. So um, let's say you have a Delver of Secrets deck, and you have Delver of Secret match data from five years out. Mm-hmm. Well, the Delver of Secret decks five years ago probably are different than Delver of Secret decks now. Mm-hmm. So if it didn't take date into account, it might associate you playing Delver of Secrets with a deck that was five years ago that's just markedly different, maybe even a different archetype than if you played it, if you played that deck today. Got it. You know, one of the things that's interesting about Morth that is, I think, particular to Dredge, it's a little bit of a limitation, is it's tracking, well, let me just take a step back. The way that Magic Online actually tracks, it, it tracks casting, right? And it'll also track that a creature left the graveyard for, for Dredge, but Mort isn't actually looking at that, and, and it's not able to capture that, like, I had a prize amalgam come back. And so it is is purely looking at and gives me the win percentages for it. Or the win correlations, I should say, for cards like Ox of Agonis or Life from Limb that I'm casting. Um, and so I'm not able to actually see, you know, information about what I put in my grid and what might come back. Um, and, and so that's just an interesting little... Makes a little, ton of sense. Yeah, twerk, like a twerk. It's a little interesting quirk um, of Mort with Dredge. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And there's a whole... So in addition to Dredge not being tracked track in, it's a lot of non-castable decisions that you do are mm-hmm. not tracked. So if you're thinking about... Maybe ley lines are tracked. That's like a weird side case, but any activated abilities that are critical for your deck and you really want to dive into, those activated abilities are typically not tracked in the game log. Therefore, definitely not tracked because Mort just uses game logs and the replays to figure out what's going on. I think if more people use this tool over time, I, I don't remember the, the gentleman's name who created the tool. I know he's he's in Germany and you chatted with him, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Pyrocore. Power core. It'd be so cool if we could get him to add a little, or or maybe crowdsource this a little bit, open source it. Yeah, I think it'd have to be crowdsourced. Uh, I, I, you know, it's just a stuff like a full time job maintaining more, yeah. and having one person do it all just seems like a really tough thing. And to do it for, basically, he gives a free version of Mort out. Or he used to give a free version of Mort out, and then he had a subscription version of Mort as well. It, it was a labor of love to mm-hmm. to do it. Well, hopefully enough people get interested and something can happen. How I agree. I know that you've used this a lot in the past with Amulet Titan. Maybe you can talk a little bit about some of your um, successes there and, and how you used it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so let's go on sort of away from the, the tool portion of today's podcast and let's go into a deep dive example. Um, so for Mort, I've used Mort for Amulet Titan tuning in the past. And my examples are going to be kind of old because I actually you know, stopped playing Amulet Titan two years ago. But I did want to give the listeners some ideas for what you could do with data-driven decisions. If you look at Mort, there's a couple things that you can do with it. What I like to do is I like to look at my in-game decisions on casting things and how they correlate with achieving a combo because Amulet Titan is a combo deck. So I classified cards that you can play in Amulet Titan into three categories. Is it a card that achieves ramp in the deck? Is it a card that is your haymaker threat in the deck? Or is it a toolbox element? Something that does a little nudging of your opponent and and interacts with your opponent in an awkward way. And from there, you can start looking at 
win correlation data with how you cast those cards. And you can say, is ramp the most important thing in Amulet Titan? Are threats the most important thing? Or are your, are your toolbox cards the most important thing? And in those categories, what gives you the best ramp? What is the best threat? What is the best toolbox cards? And then you can start tuning your 75 to your current meta, your current time. And I have had some really interesting revelations when I use data-driven magic. Like the first one was when I was analyzing the ramp package for Amulet Titan, there's a lot of different cards that you could use. But I was a, a proponent that's still weird to this day of a card called Where Wayward Swordtooth. It's a three mana card. So same casting cost as Azusa, but it that? only allows you to play. Do you remember it? I, I, I vaguely remember it. Anyway, yeah, continue, so it, continue. it's like a big Azusa. It's a 5-5 five, five Azusa, uh -huh. um, but only allows you to play two lands a turn versus three. And it's, it's a 5-5 five, five that can't attack or block unless a, you ascend. A, a two and a green? Two and a green. Two colorless and a green. Yep. Yeah. So it seems, uh, for a ramp, from a ramp perspective, it is way weaker than Azusa because mm -hmm. two lands versus three lands a turn is much smaller. But from a utility perspective, what I noticed was Azusa died a lot. It got bolted all the time. Oh, yeah. There's some, a million things that just killed it right away. And then also in the late game, Azusa wasn't a threat. So if you're playing against Control or Death Shadow, which was really big at the time, mm -hmm. uh, having a 1-2 attack an opponent doesn't do anything, but a 5-5 could end the game mm -hmm. against Death Shadow. Cool. So I actually um, found that they had the same exact win correlations with their cast trigger. They're both on the same spot of the curve. Mm -hmm. So... I was a, way, a Wayward Swordtooth heavy list mm -hmm. uh, for my Amulet Titan builds, which was unorthodox, but the data backed it up. And also less expensive. Way less expensive, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Cool. I didn't go a full play set of Waywards. Uh, I mean, I still had Azusas. I think I did a 3-1 a split, uh -huh. three Azusas, one Wayward, where I could tutor up the Wayward in a pinch uh, okay. uh, if the timing made sense, and then have a 5-5 five, five body. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, so I, I also see here that, that you had some uh, insights against Burn. Yeah, so the next data-driven decision I made with Mort, you could look at different matchups and isolate for a matchup, what are my cast-win correlations? And I played against a lot of Burn matches. Amulet Titan has an amazing Burn matchup, silly good. Mm -hmm. But when you think about playing against Burn, you think their Searing Blazes are pretty powerful, especially game one. And they always keep their Searing Blazes for your Azusas and your Sakura Tribe Scouts. Mm -hmm. So you think creatures are just naturally kind of bad because they're automatically going to get toasted by mm -hmm. any burn spell that your opponent has. And if they have a Searing Blaze, it's toasted and three damage to you. Mm -hmm. Terrible. So your intuition is to take out a couple scouts in that matchup mm -hmm. and lean more on other types of ramp that you have. But what I found was Sakura Tribe Scouts amazing against that. I actually had a really high win correlation against Burn, really? which I played a lot of. And the reason, when I thought about it more, was if they're wasting a burn spell on a 1-1, one, one, that's three damage that doesn't go to your face. Sure. It buys you maybe a turn, and if you have a turn where you finally get your amulet tightened out, you will almost win the game on the spot. Well, yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense within that context. I, I, I wouldn't have been able to really see that. I mean, at the same time, that's a good rule of thumb to just have in it. It's a, it's a heuristic, right? If they're not pointing burn at your face, you're happy. Like that's, mm -hmm. you hear that a lot. So I, it makes sense within that context. But I, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to just make that call. And that's also interesting in the burn matchup because they probably are thinking about you taking out your secure tribe scout. And then they'll probably side out uh, searing blazes. Yeah, maybe. 
I think it's more common they keep them all in because there's zero chance that you take away all your creature ramp. Your creature mm -hmm. ramp is so powerful. Uh, that's true. So they'll yeah. always keep they want to hit it for sure. That no, that's a good takeaway. A anything else with uh, Amulet Titan? Yeah. So if you are also a more aficionado and you're listening to this, some helpful hints to make your analysis even better. Mm -hmm. What I like to do, if I'm doing deck tuning, I'll actually track versions of the deck that I play, and then I'll track which dates I play that version. I'll keep a little Google Doc just on the side saying, hey, on Monday, Tuesday, I played version 1.1 of my deck. On Wednesday, Thursday, I played version 1.2. And then what you can do with more is you can isolate your date range to try to figure out just truly what version 1.1 did and what its core effect was and 1.2. You can isolate effects of the version versus just mixing them all together and trying to find statistics on the aggregate. Mm -hmm. So I like doing that and kind of isolating um, playing a version for just a single day and then filtering by date range. I found it helpful. Well, I think Amulet Titan is really interesting too because it is classified as a toolbox deck. You get to do testing with a particular tool, like a card, right? And how that's doing against particular archetypes, right, that you're playing against, certain matches. And it's also, just, you know, overall, you get a picture of how, how effective is this. Yeah, that, that's a, a really easy statistic to use Mort for, or any sort of analytics tool. So there's two things that you can track in any toolbox deck. How often you cast that toolbox card. Mm -hmm. So is it even needed in your sideboard is mm -hmm. one thing that you can decide. And then when you do cast that toolbox card, does it fundamentally swing the game? Because your toolbox cards should aim to be just silver bullets, fundamentally swinging the game in your favor. And Mort's a great way to figure out both those pieces of information. Oh, all right. Is there anything else that you want to cover with Amulet Titan? Because I know you've been using this for, for other decks as well. Yeah, I think that's good. There's a lot more that I could talk through. I could talk people's ears off on it on how, how you can use data-driven decisions to just tune a combo deck in general but we'll save that to another day yeah i i think that moving forward we want to be really focused on using more tor or another tool that gives us a rich data set and also a way of assessing that data to be able to really dive into some of these decks like amulet titan or or dredge and have in-depth discussions between ourselves and, and bringing on other players you know our aficionados of these decks to be able to have real talk about what's going on with them yeah i think that's a really good format to follow i'm, I'm hoping Fingers crossed, we could get some Sodek time in the future and, and talk with the Dredge Master himself. We yeah. have the Padawan of Dred uh, Dredge U oh, uh, so talk good. to the Master. That'd be so cool. Anyway, all right, so I see here that you've also done some testing of uh, Mono G and Orzov Doom Pack with Mort, correct? Yeah, I, I think we can save that for another day. Actually, I was just going to kind of rehash what we talked about last time, but sure. if you watch the video that we posted last time, you can actually see one of the data-driven tools that we use to tune a sideboard for Orzhov Doompact, mm -hmm. which was really good in Pioneer and actually is good in Pioneer with the post-bans. I might be revisiting that in the next couple of weeks. Oh, cool. Well, I'm, I'm excited to hear all about that. I want to learn more about Pioneer. Now that there's been a shakeup, it sounds like this this may be a good time to, to find something fun. I hate... I just hear that... I don't know. Whenever I initially heard about Pioneer, it's like, okay, there's all these there's all these options out there and I'm I'm not really much of a brewer. I'm trying to get better at brewing, but like didn't want to oh, invest I'm the time. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I listen to Faithless Brewing and it's interesting listening to these guys, but I just don't have that skill set. And you only build the skill set by actually practicing. But anyway, 
I say all that to say that at this point, it sounds like there's there's a couple archetypes that are, are actually kind of known and, you know, people are feeling good about them. You with Orzhov Doom Pack, and, and maybe it's now just a great time to get into it and we could both play the same deck and come together and, and talk about our, our testing, what we found. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. It's kind of an aside, Rusty. I was thinking about Pioneer the other day. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about what they're doing with Arena, with Historic, and I was wondering, is that what's killing Pioneer? since Historic is slowly morphing to be more and more Pioneer. And, I mean, they have ambitions to get Pioneer on Arena mm-hmm. in general. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people's theories and philosophies about Historic, and Wizards is owned by Hasbro and they're a public company. And so if you've ever worked at a public company, I'm sure you've heard about meeting investors' expectations and the importance of hitting your numbers and things like that. So they're going to do everything they can to get you to spend more money. And... Historic is a great way to do that because they've put out more cards that are available. They created you know, a format that is particular to one platform. And if you get tired of drafting or playing standard, then there's Historic, right? And, and they get to kind of continually add cards to that, do it at their own pace. And people are going to keep funneling money in because they want to play Historic. It's it's working for them. It's a good strategy. So do you think it's, do you, do you think there's going to be some pretty big pushback with the economy? I know the economy in historic is atrocious, and if you if you miss those historic bundles, you're looking at some really expensive decks. Like that all gets funneled directly to wizards. Yeah. To Watsy. Yeah. You know, the people that are gonna play. So so let me let me take a step back, and I'm I'm gonna kind of speak off the cuff here because I haven't entirely thought this out, but but just thinking out loud about arena and the players that are on there, it's a lot of a lot of people who like the idea of magic and like the game and, and want to play casually, right? So you've got all your casual players. They're not going to be the ones that are spending money on Historic, right? They're not going to be the ones spending money on Magic Arena in general. The people that, that are are the ones that really love the game in general, like like myself, and then those that really want to be pros, right? They, they want to, you know, be the very best. And so the pros is a very, very small customer base, right? Customer AKA segment. whales. Yeah, they're, they're whales. And it's not in their best interest to design product around whales because it disenfranchises, it creates a a really negative experience for everyone who's not a whale. And so that's where you get a lot of the pushback that we see with Double Masters and and just the community questioning why they keep on using the phrasing, this product isn't for you. They (laughs) use the phrase VIP on some of theirs. VIP booster. I mean, Pandora's box. VIP stands for it's the most expensive and like that's it like there's nothing very important person about it it's you're you're a very important person because you're giving them all your money like it's it's kind of <laughs> it's it's kind of wild i don't know i i think it's a slippery slope that they're they're walking on but at the end of the day they are in the business of making the most amount of money that they can and they're going to look at all the data that they get from the sales of this and all these historic bundles and and the amount of money that people are funding into it into arena to get packs to be able to afford these other cards and they're going to tweak all these all these levers they can to make the most money that's 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 their job and so yeah now's a terrible time in the economy right like people are not they they don't have a lot of free cash and people are scared and and they release double masters like that's such an interesting decision i unless you've been following all of their business statements you know annual reviews and things like that or quarterly reviews it's hard to know how effective these launch strategies are especially during this time I'm not a, a stock holder for, for Hasbro, and so I, I've honestly not paid any attention to what's going on, but I, I'd be curious to look and see how 
much of an impact Double Masters is for them. And they usually talk about this kind of stuff. Again, when we're going into financials and and, and we could, maybe we could have in the future like a financial and economic statistics overview. Yeah, It'd yeah. be pretty much an aside, but also one that I'm interested in. It, it's one where you know I want the game to be healthy. I want the game. I want everyone in the world to be able to play Magic uh-huh. at a reasonable level uh, for a cheap buy-in amount. Mm-hmm. And like we're talking about the health of the game that we like. Uh, so I don't want Watsi to screw it. And having these open discussions and trying to figure out ways where they're doing it really well, like a really good job, but also ways that might be a pitfall. I think is a good discussion to have in Magic. What's what's so fascinating, and like I wish I had this as a product manager, because like I'm a product manager who has to work to set up voice of customer sessions with you know people that use my product. But Watsi has people that create content around their product, and they have a constant feedback loop with how they're doing, and that's so fascinating. Imagine being a product manager where your customers were always loud and vocal and telling you exactly what they want, like on a consistent, reachable platform. Like it's just it, it's so interesting and dream and a nightmare. All the totally. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then figuring out how to engage with them properly. They've been doing this for 25 years, and I think that they're just starting now to do that well. I, they reached out to the guys from Faithless Brewing, and those guys typically just do Pioneer and Modern, but they, they set up a, a standard uh, kind of brewing session. I can't remember the name of it, but they, they had a couple YouTube videos. Anyway, anyway, it's just they're figuring it out. They're, they're it, It's just it's really cool. It's a very cool uh, business to be in. I wish I wish I had that for, um, you know, backup Absolutely. batteries. I'm sure you wish that you had that for AI. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I think for next time we're gonna chat about Dredge and maybe a little bit of Dort Orzov Doom Pack. And is there anything else that, that we're gonna focus on for next time? Just more on Mort. I think it's gonna be more of a case study. We're just gonna you know let the data do the talking, uh, walk the listeners through what we what we're thinking, how we make decisions. Mm-hmm. What are the limitations for this analysis? And it should be fun. Yeah. We'll, we'll have some stories along the way. Yeah. Um, that's my goal for next time. Definitely. Well, thank you uh, for listening. If you have stayed this long with us, uh, we appreciate it. We have a, a Patreon that you can uh, become a part of and get some exclusive content. Um, check that out at patreon.com slash magic. And we are Rusty and Matt, and uh, we'll see you next time. Cheers.